How do you create change when you're facing monumental external opposition, from global competitors to local police and companies? In this episode of Butt Movers, I speak with Jimena Dure about the rapid growth of Move, the first ride-sharing company in Paraguay. We talk about how to innovate, not only in order to create a profitable company, but also one that does social good. Jimena shares stories of how she uses perceived disadvantages to her advantage and what a wild ride this has been. Join us on this episode of Buttonverse. So I'm really excited to be joined today by Jimena Dure. Jimena is one of the co-founders and the current director of operations of Move, which is the first ride-sharing company in Paraguay. And while Move has only launched in June 2018, it has already had tremendous impact. So welcome to the show, Jimena. Thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you for wanting to hear my story. Um, It's a pleasure and an honor. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit more about Move, about your story and how you got to where you are today? Of course, um, as you mentioned, we haven't even been around for a year yet. Um, and nonetheless, we have already surpassed the 500,000 rides benchmark operating only officially in one city, considering the, the fact that Paraguay is a country with less than 7 million people. That number for us is really significant and shows and proves how much the service was actually being needed um, and demanded by the population. Um, we started out as four co-founders. Um, the idea actually developed by my best friend from school, Sergio Mura, and his younger brother, Alan Peña. They started developing the idea. They, Sergio, like me, also studied in the U.S. And so when I came back, he offered me the position as co-founder and director um, and wanted me to join in for the ride, which really has been a ride. It has been a ride in the sense that innovation always precedes law or regulations. So mm-hmm. there's no regulation for something that doesn't exist in a country. Mm-hmm. So maybe can you give us just a little bit more context? I imagine most people are familiar with the, the concept of a ride-sharing company like Uber, which is probably the one the, that most people know about. But maybe can you just tell us a little bit more? You mentioned, you know, Move has now uh, had over 500,000 rides, which is really significant. Um, but maybe can you just give us a little bit more context about exactly what Move does and what's the kind of change that you're trying to create in, first of all, in Asuncion and then in Paraguay uh, more broadly? Of course. Move is a ride-sharing app. Like you mentioned, Uber is probably the most well-known, although it's not the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Move is basically an app, a platform um, on mobile cell phones that act as connectors between people that are seeking a service, specifically a mobility service, and people that can provide that service. Um, So the people that are um, today are the drivers of move, we call them movers, have gone through, let's say, a process, some filters, some security standards that allow them to be able to to be active on the app. And the same with the passengers. So we're sort of intermediating between two parts that, without knowing each other, have no sort of sort of trust in each other mm-hmm. um, but through the application that trust is enabled mm-hmm. um, and that's finally what allows the service the final service to be provided 
-hmm. um, but basically move is in a transportation company we own no cars we are we have no drivers within the in-house team um, but it is a platform that connects two parts mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the context of, of Paraguay from what I understand this is a pretty new way of, of doing things this idea of connecting um, these two different sides uh, for you know mobility purposes is is new yeah totally um, I believe the idea is quite revolutionary still but it's quickly changing um, when we started people didn't really trust that someone would be willing to drive another stranger around in their own private car um, you know, because culturally, we've been taught to do the opposite, to never mm. get into strangers' <laughs> cars. Um, so a barrier we had in the beginning was, was breaking with that mold, breaking with that mindset that you can't trust someone you don't know, and making it the norm. Today, it's, it's, it's an, a day-to-day -day habit to get into a stranger's car. And every day, every month, we see people are getting more used to the idea. Mm -hmm. um, and as we expand to new cities, um, it's becoming easier because in Asuncion, which is the capital, it's the first city we started operating in. Last week, we expanded to, to the second largest city in Paraguay, um, which is called Ciudad del Este. It's right on the border with Brazil. Mm -hmm. And... People are using it like no other. So I wonder if we can um, explore that a little bit further, because in helping us understand the context of MOVE, you've already started to talk about one of the, the key barriers to launching it, which I think as, you know, sort of these types of services, ride-sharing type of apps or other types of service-sharing apps have launched around the world, there have been similar needs to shift mindsets, right? Like I remember my first yeah. Uber ride in New York a couple years ago being like, I'm not getting into a stranger's car. Um, and it's interesting also to hear about that cultural context in Paraguay. So I'm wondering in exploring that, if you can speak to how you and the organization have created that shift in mindset and build that trust so that you can get some of those early adopters um, and then build on success. Yeah, so one of the first actions or let's say strategies we we did to be able to gain people's trust because before gaining the trust of someone to jump into another stranger's car we had to gain trust in us in move itself so we did a lot of campaigning in in what move was and how move was unique from from uber for instance in the sense that we're Paraguayan, we have an office here. We have a 24-7 hotline um, that takes calls from passengers and movers or any sort of any person that's interested in learning more about the service. Um, so, and we as co-founders, um, all four of us have been on TV, have been in the media. We've been doing talks at universities so people know who's behind this and it's not just this like copy paste um, technology that no one really knows who's behind um, and no one really knows if at the point when something happens and someone needs, needs support if there's going to be someone there mm -hmm. so for instance um, in the app we know because we know that Paraguay is undergoing through let's say gender issues and women are face more 
vulnerability and face more insecurity, we, in this new app launch, in this new, let's say, um, how do you say when you relaunch, like it's a new version, the new like version of the app. 2.0, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or app 2.0, yeah. we'll have a gender filter mm-hmm. um, that's only going to be available for women passengers and women movers. So one of the things we saw is that women really didn't, were really, really afraid of joining as movers in spite of being really interested and knowing of all the possibilities for extra earnings and flexible times and and being able to say and decide when you could connect onto the app or when not to. Um, they really weren't, didn't want to join because of of not trusting that the passenger would be someone uh, would be a nice human being mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um so this filter will allow more women to join in, even though today we have a 25 percent uh female movers rate wow. um so we're aiming towards getting that percentage to 50 i believe people started trusting us when we started being really vocal about what our vision and our purpose is with the company. Yeah, I, I think you know your, your summary there is really interesting because when we are talking about building trust, it sounds like one of the ways that you are able to do it is by tapping into that local knowledge and that local context um, and being able to leverage that. But also deeper than that, it's about being able to tap into values, right? And to show that the values that you have as a company are aligned with the values of the people that you're trying to serve. Um, And really doing that at a deep level. I think a lot of companies and organizations have missions about, you know, integrity and community. Um, And I think that example of really noticing, for example, that gender need is, is, Proof, it, it, proof, as it were, that you are a company that really does care about its people um, in addition to its its profits. Yeah, yeah, I believe that's that's a really nice summary. One of those other populations or groups that, that have a really hard time getting around the city, for example, is people in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a segmentation of vehicles and movers that will be able to provide that service, that specialized service, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe all of the little details that make the final service is what allows us to break through that mindset. First of all, that this isn't something that could work here. And second of all, that this isn't something that could have been born in Paraguay. One of our big butts was that people really didn't think we could compete with Uber. And Uber has been trying to come to the country since 2015, 2016. It ended up launching in December 2018 so just a few months ago after we launched right Mm -hmm. and people were really hesitant people were actually calling us copycats and why does Paraguay always have to copy others and it's never really innovative and so we received a lot of criticism like that Mm -hmm. and it it was as well working with the idea that things can in Paraguay can be born using examples that have worked abroad, but not copying and pasting it, but mm-hmm. adapting it to our realities and our necessities. Yes. Um, so today we're competing, competing side by side. Um, when people said we 
would not be able to. And I think there's there's a lot of richness in what you just shared there in a couple ways. I mean, one is this idea of when you're trying to start an organization or you're trying to launch an idea, this idea that you can turn what is actually a perceived limitation or weakness into a strength, right? So people perceiving that, oh, because you're local or because you're small, you can't compete with Uber um, or a global company. And actually turning that barrier into one of your key selling points is really, really interesting to think about. And then the second piece about no matter what an innovation is, you have to contextualize innovation in terms of the needs and desires and fears of the people who are going to be using it. I think those are two really interesting threads that out of this specific example of MOVE would apply to any number of of people trying to create change uh, through their companies or, or through the work that they're doing. I agree. As you mentioned, it's knowing the the fears, it's knowing the ways thing, things work, the priorities, um, what is really valued. Um, so in Move, for example, all of the movers that join um, are maybe seeing Move as an escape, as an alternative alternative source of income. Mm-hmm. But for us, let's say we were we're talking about a ride-sharing company abroad. Usually, they pr- they they pride in lowering their their rotation rates um, so they want to keep their drivers as long as possible mm-hmm. um, and one of the most negative numbers that these ride-sharing companies have is that they have I think an average of four percent retention rate per year so that means mm-hmm. that only four percent of uber drivers that jo- that join in a certain year are still an uber driver are still in uber the, the coming year Mm-hmm. Um, and that means a lot of cost, but for us, if we have a 4% retention rate because people left move after a year because they were able to pursue what they really wanted to pursue mm-hmm. for us, that's, that's a goal. That's mm-hmm. it. That would be something positive. Right. Um, so we're seeing move for, for, in the case of movers and the case of the drivers, not as, as a permanent job but maybe as a trampoline so more of I come to move I can get by during this time but move will create the channels and the channels for opportunities for me to grow professionally and I think that's that's something that motivates us internally um, because it's not it's the means to the end you mm-hmm. know not mm-hmm. not the end mm-hmm. um, and that's something we really pride ourselves in as well. That's a really interesting way to frame that internal motivation to change Move's end goal from a purely profit-driven company to a socially driven one that's actually trying to change society. So I'm wondering if you've maybe got some stories or examples of how a member of your team, somebody who's been motivated in this way, maybe presented a great innovation or idea that actually helped to move the company forward and overcome an obstacle, a butt mover who's not at that top level of leadership. In December um, was when sort of everything exploded. Um, So it was the month that Uber arrived in Paraguay. It, it was a month when the police and the taxis got together and decided they were going to kidnap a mover's car. Right. Um, and so things exploded in the media, things exploded in the city government. And it was also the time that 
the taxis um, sued us mm-hmm. as a company, not Uber, <laughs> but they sued us. So they announced their, their protest on a Friday morning and they were going to lock down all of the city's main streets, main avenues. And so people were going insane. People were so mad um, because taxi, the taxi industry here um, works sort of like a mafia. And so when the taxis announced that they were going to do this huge protest against us and they were going to sue us um, as illegal competitors, we announced because of someone in the team suggested giving free rides at the same time. Right. We announced that we were going to get free rides during the three hours of the protest. So the whole team was in the office that Friday morning at 4 a.m. Um, without anyone saying you have to be here and you have to, you know, put your finger on the clock. Um, but because it was so exciting mm. being part of it. And that, for example, was an idea from someone in the team mm. and it made a huge change um, in how people saw us. So I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit more about that crazy uh, December month, because I think that highlights a lot of the uh, external challenges as well that you've been facing. Can you speak to, to us a little bit more about some of those external obstacles that might very well have put off another company of, oh, but the, you know, the taxi mafia have too much yeah. power or but the global company is coming or but the police are in on it too. Um, if you could tell us a little bit more about some of those stories and how you've navigated that. Yeah, so I think it starts that innovation comes before uh, modifications in law. Mm. So one of the main arguments from the taxi industry and the city government as well is that there isn't a regulation for a service as ours. So they were saying that because there is no regulation, hence we are illegal because we don't exist within the current legal framework. So there is no way we could operate. But this mentality is completely completely wrong because every sort of innovation there is no way there a law could be created if something doesn't exist when i was actually on a on a trip right before everything exploded and the day i got here we got a call from a mover from a driver saying that he they they got his car they took his car and we couldn't understand why and so we started accompanying um the process and we were there at the city hall. Um, so it was just this week of, of just ambiguity and no one knowing what the heck was going on. And then we found out, we got our hands on this document that literally step-by-step step had a process of how they were gonna start kidnapping movers cars. Um, And it was signed by the director of transportation of the city hall. And it was signed by the head of the police of the the city police. Um, And it was an illegal order, unofficial (laughs) illegal order signed by these two heads of departments within the city hall of a step by step of how they were going to get into the app register as passengers, order a move, order a ride, and then whoever came, they were going to do the ride with like just normal ride. And at the end, there was going to be a police barricade waiting for the mover. Oh my gosh. Um, So that's how they got him. Um, And this came out on the media. 
And it was two weeks of being on the front page of every single newspaper. Of We were on every single channel. There's a saying that says there's no negative publicity um there's only right. publicity and so mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so right now we're we're currently in let's call them like table round tables with different ministries like the ministry of technology mm-hmm. the ministry of, of transportation um we we've sat in a meeting with the vice president um because they all want this to work um mm-hmm. and they're all using move as the pioneer for the creation of this innovation ecosystem. And I think yes. it's really important because that's that's sort of what we're participating in in the end, right? We're not yes. only a ride-sharing company. We're also an example for a lot of other entrepreneurs and, and young people that, that are seeking change through innovation or through technology. Yes. And so thinking about that, I, I have two related questions to that. I mean, the first is it sounds like, again, similarly to what we've talked about before, a lot of this is talking about going deeper than being a company, being deeper than a tech startup and, and tapping into like bigger and more important movements um, in Paraguay and, and tapping into this um, need to innovate. And I think in the story that you've talked about, there's a lot in there about, you know, when you're the first group to do something, you have to blaze the trail because somebody's got to do it. Um, and if not, you know, somebody else, then it, it's got to be you. So in thinking about that, my, my two questions are, one, how do you build those alliances that are so crucial to getting you through some of these barriers? Because it sounds like that example of, I, I can't remember the, the name of the um, sort of junior uh, government person that you talked about, but you know, in that example and what you just talked about in terms of the other people you've gotten on board, that need for alliances is so important and to find your allies. So one, I'm curious, how do you build those kind of alliances? How do you get um, the right kind of people to help support you? And then my second question is around the sort of exhaustion, right? It is exhausting to be an innovator and to to be the one to push for change. And so my second question is more around, you know, how do you um, maintain that energy and that ability to keep moving forward? So alliances and then also, you know, how do you maintain that momentum? <laughs> okay, so in terms of alliances, I think our biggest advantage is the fact that we're four young people trying to change the country for the better. But in the beginning, it was especially especially difficult because people, people were just not convinced that this could happen here. So we were seeking, first of all, we were building up, let's say, confidence within ourselves, within our own team. We were talking about how much we wanted to change our reality. And that is what stood us through, helped us stand all the butts. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it was finding the people that did believe. And it was hard in the beginning because we hadn't really proved we could yet. So when we started proving that, when we started, we were in our beta phase and there were 4,000 people waiting, but there was this sort of momentum that people wanted to be a part of this change and people were praising the fact that we were so 
so darn um, courageous to be able to to say yes, we're gonna give it a try, and if it doesn't work, well, that's that. So I think when we present our idea, not as move the ride sharing company, but move as a pioneer for all the future and emerging startups, technology, technological startups that are coming up and how much we need the support and how much we need that change in mindset. Um, that's when people start really start listening. I think what's, what's really interesting is this idea that you're for like young people. And with that, that can sometimes be seen again as a, as a limitation, like, oh, you don't have the experience, you're young. And it sounds like yet again, it's another example of how you as a group have turned what could potentially be seen as a disadvantage into an actual advantage. Exactly. So turning it from, yeah, we're young people, but actually that's a great thing because we're able to speak authentically and not hiding that um, and actually using that as part of your, not strategy in a manipulative way, but using that as part of what has helped bring you forward is is really interesting yeah you mentioned uh being authentic i think that's what people see when we when we're talking about move and when we're talking about change Mm -hmm. that's what gets to people and so in terms of what's you know propelled you personally or the organization to be able to move forward and to be able to persevere any insights or, or thoughts to share on that yeah, I've learned that it's not the idea that counts. They're brilliant ideas that have never been brought forward or have never mm-hmm. become anything. And they're worthless, actually. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the actual execution of an idea is what has a value. So before, when we were talking about having move and creating move, and people not trusting that it was possible. Yeah, our idea had absolutely no value. For us, it was, first of all, I come from my having an ideal my whole life of changing Paraguay. So I Mm. went to the US for college to study international development with a focus on science and technology. And so having my best friend and I and our two other co-founders want that same, uh, be driven by that same purpose um, is what has allowed us to move forward. That the, the purpose, the fact that we sat down and talked about what was driving us to be in that room at that moment, um, we came to agree that for us, it was breaking stigmas. It was, it was changing mm. the status quo. And I think it's it's um, been the thread throughout our whole conversation, right? Of tapping into something deeper and more meaningful than wh- whatever it might be at the surface. And really for yourself, digging into a much deeper purpose than starting a profitable company so that you can make money. Um, that sounds like that's what drove you at the beginning. And the that this ride sharing app is the vehicle through vehicle, but is the <laughs> avenue through which you're sorry, little pun, the <laughs> avenue through which you're doing that. Um, but again, it is coming back once more um, to a deeper purpose, and that's what that's what gets you through the butts. That's what makes you a, a that butt mover. Definitely is what gets us through the butts. I think that if we didn't have our our vision and our mission of what we wanted to do with this. It's exactly as you mentioned. It's move is just the vehicle um, to get to that purpose, to to pursue that, and that's that's what keeps us moving and forward. And so tapping into that deep seated 
belief and that desire and that that purpose is is really what's important and would you say that would be your sort of generalizable uh, message to other butt movers other people trying to create change is to to stay really tapped into that I think so I think that's that's my number one insight yeah find find what motivates you what moves you pun <laughs> but well, <laughs> find find that yes. one thing that makes you that that you're really really passionate about and that you're going to wake up in the morning for rather the cliche but that's exactly it because it's really really yeah. hard to be uh, an entrepreneur um, dealing with a lot of obstacles a lot of butts especially in the beginning and mm-hmm. throughout like it, it never really ends um, <laughs> but but that's knowing and having a clear mission will help you through those butts well thank you so much Jimena for sharing the story of move and sharing the the inspiring work that you've been doing so far and I know there's there's no rest ahead I know there's more obstacles to come as you expand And it sounds like you've got a great team together to be able to push through those. And I wish you all all the best as you continue your growth and expansion. Thank you so much, Teresa. It has been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Butt Movers. I hope you have been as inspired by Jimena as I have. The energy and ability of her team to overcome these seemingly insurmountable obstacles to fundamentally change Paraguay for good has been incredible to hear about. If you enjoyed this episode, please think of one friend who might also like it and go ahead and send them the link right now. Connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at ButtMovers, that's B-U-T Movers, or head over to ButtMovers.com for more on today's episode including links to finding out more about Move, including some of their headline news from around the world. Join us again in two weeks' time for the next episode, when I have a conversation with Justin Bedard, the founder and executive director of Jump Foundation, a global organization inspiring, empowering, and engaging people and communities to realize their passions and potentials. In our deeply personal chat, Justin shares with me insights and stories about he has evolved as a leader as the organization has evolved. I hope you and a friend will join me then. And until next time, get out there and move those butts.